Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A reporter stumbles across a cult-like phenomenon that sees people go missing, strange artifacts appearing, miracles performed, and lives ruined. All by a man named Noah. Our reporter, Karen Elmhouse, tracks down one of the survivors of this cult, one willing to share their story and their experiences with the rest of the world. Listeners, your tale is written by Fee Stringer, titled The Interview, a tale of mystery, intrigue, and cultish madness. Turn the lights off, the sound up, and join me in the dark. Personal Journal, Karen Elmhouse, July 12th, 2015. Need to put Dad's check in the bank so power is not shut off. I am so fucking pathetic. Slow week and it's fucking hot down here. I can't believe that they paid to send me here. Updated CB post blog photos yesterday. It seems the lower my cleavage, the higher the amount of traffic there is. Odd that our readers don't just look up porn instead. I guess I should be flattered. Maybe something in internet culture that likes getting sexy news. CBPost.com statement of Sally Hawk, surviving member of The Church of the Air. Interview completed July 13th, 2015 by Karen Elmhouse. Forward. Most spiritual and occult beliefs that people gather around have a few characteristics in common. One of those characteristics is turmoil and hardship of some sort that compels people to try things they normally would not. Something that is out of their comfort zone, created by desperation. The next is usually a person either possessing a level of high charisma or a skill or ability that makes him stand out from his community. In the small town of Corn Creek, Georgia, a unique combination of events occurred that followed this basic pattern, but met with a mysterious end and several unanswered questions. The date that this cult known as the Church of the Air began is a little sketchy. Some reports say that it was 1977, some go back to 1965. However, the day that it ended was pretty well documented as August 10th, 1979. The news that day was vague, to say the least. Most of the followers of the cult simply disappeared, and the reports as to how or why varied greatly. Of the surviving members, most have been unwilling to discuss their time with COA. Some appear to have symptoms of PTSD, and others don't want to be bothered by reporters such as yours truly. Most experts agree that there may have been some kind of mass suicide or other type of exodus that made the members fall off the grid. The cult centered around a man known as Noah Shepard, although it is pretty much accepted that his name was a pseudonym for a local man named Alfred Lisberg. Noah disappeared alongside most of his followers that day, in August of 79. The church itself was located about three miles outside of Corn Creek. Only two farmers were in the general area at the time of the disappearance. 
and they stated some elements that, while not unexplainable, did seem to eerily line up with the time of the cults vanishing. Although they could not see the church itself from where they were, one farmer to the northwest of the church, the other due south at the time, both had similar elements to their accounts of what happened despite their differences. What was similar was, first of all, the sound of tearing that both farmers had heard. One farmer described it as a big old sheet of paper getting torn in half over the course of about 30 seconds, but it rumbled too. The other stated it sounded like cutting through drywall with a knife, but echoing like it was in a cave. Another similarity was what was felt for a few seconds. Both men reported hurricane-like winds flowing towards the church. Estimates were up to 85 miles per hour, as if the church were sucking the air towards it. Most interestingly, however, were the differences in the two men's accounts of what each of them saw. Both saw a pillar of sort reaching towards the sky in the location of the church, but within the pillar, each one saw different things. The farmer to the northwest stated when he looked into the pillar, it looked like it was underwater, like a deep blue color, and there were fish or something inside it. The other farmer, when looking within, saw something altogether different. He stated, In the first few seconds it was like fire, then it looked like the eyes of a million angels. It was later explained that what both men saw was the result of light refracting through what scientists described as the actual phenomena. Meteorologists agree that what struck the area around the church had been a tornado that had formed and then disappeared within seconds. Dr. Edding at the local university commented, It is rare, but these kinds of tornadoes can form and disappear even on a clear day in almost any condition. The few people that were found in the vicinity of the church, some still on the premises, some wandering the woodland around the property, were in a state near catatonic at the time. This is consistent with surviving the kind of trauma that they explained as part of the disaster. I had the opportunity to sit down with one of the survivors of COA, one Miss Brittany Culberston, who was 19 at the time of the incident. She was one of the few people in the COA who had any willingness to be interviewed. However, I am told by her brother that this willingness comes and goes daily, and sometimes hourly, as Mrs. Cobblestone's moods change very quickly due to several emotional, mental problems that she has. Luckily for me, I caught her in a somewhat talkative mood on the day of the interview, and this is what I recorded. Thank you so much for meeting with us, Mrs. Culberston. It's no problem, darling. I like to see people from time to time. If you could start by telling our readers a little about your background and how you ended up joining the Church of the Air. Well, I joined the church when I was 14 years old. I had just dropped out of school around that time because my father had died. My mother was a mess and I had to take care of her and my little brother, Anthony. Now, at the time, I just went to normal church with my family, but when my mama became a widow, she started drinking and never felt much like going to church on Sundays anymore. It was that way for a few months, at least, until I saw a big change come over my mum. 
She told me and my brother that we were going to start attending church again. She had given up drinking and she was going to start being a real mama to us again. She had met Noah outside when she was being given a ride to the corner march, you see. And he showed her something that day that changed it for her. I really didn't care how it happened though. I was just happy to see her smiling again. So we started going to his church, Noah's, on Sunday afternoons. He was really cool to be around at first. I admit, I can see what my mum saw, I guess. We started spending more and more time over at the church. He had this smile and a way of laughing in his voice that made everyone just feel lucky to be there. And he could do things too, things that I hadn't seen before. Like this one time he had a girl, Margot. She was nine or some such. Standing up there with him while he was preaching from the good book and she was dancing to his words, kind of acting them out. Everyone thought it was cute and so did Noah. But then he just kind of stopped and started staring at a place on the floor in front of Margot. Some of the folks that had been there a bit longer than me and my mum and my brother looked like, they knew, looked like they knew something was coming. They had seen Noah do things before, but I didn't know what to expect. Margot had stopped dancing and was just looking at Noah when he reached out to the floor and this odd sound started, almost like traffic and voices like in a busy city. And I swear to you, he pulled something right out of the floor and mind you, the floor was solid as the oak it was made of, but still he pulled and sweated and pulled until he had a basket in his hands. It looked like something out of those Sinbad movies, you know? Anyway... He opened it and it was full of dried plums. I swear for a second, it looked like Noah was a bit nervous when he was opening it. But then he got that smile back and said that Jesus was so happy about Margot's dancing that he gave us all plums. I have never seen a crowd so enthralled. There were a few other times when things like that would happen, but sometimes it was scary even though Noah had a way of explaining what happened, so it always made sense. Can you tell us about a time when that happened? Yeah, I guess I can. You see, sometimes days would go by without anything happening except the usual church stuff. I mean, it was obvious to everyone that Noah had some kind of saint touch, or was talking to Jesus or something, and he was really nice to be around and such. He would let members of the congregation sometimes read it from the Bible and things. It wasn't all strict like the other churches Mama used to take us. Noah would get that look in his eyes and try to do something and sometimes it would work and he would have like an animal or some sand from far away and sometimes it wouldn't work and it would be nothing. But more and more people kept coming to see what would happen. People would tell him that he needed to move the church and find something bigger. Noah was driving a nice car on account of all the donations and whatnot, but he insisted that Jesus told him to stay put and keep the church right where it was. And people needed to shuffle in when it was raining, and when it wasn't, he would give his sermons outside. On one of these nights, when he was talking to the crowd outside, he got this look in his eye again. My mum and I looked at each other and were smiling because we had seen things like this before, and some kind of miracle was going to happen from Noah. He walked over close to the boneyard behind the church and the old crowd followed him. This older man, I can't remember his name, really looked up to Noah and was staying real close. 
because he never wanted to miss anything. The old man couldn't have been more than seven feet from Noah when Noah reached up into the air trying to grab at something. Everyone was trying to see what it was going to be and that old man, he reached up too. I think he was trying to help but Noah saw him and got a real concerned look in his eyes. And a second later the old man was lying on the ground screaming his head off. But he wasn't actually screaming, I found. I had pushed my way up to the front of the crowd and saw the old man was holding his hand. He had a crazy look on his face and he was laughing. A wicked, crazed kind of laugh no one could make no sense of. I saw Joseph looking down at the man's hand and Joseph looked like he was thinking real hard about something. He helped the old man up and yelled back for everyone to not follow him. What happened to the old man's hand? I couldn't get a look at it since Noah was taking him away. But it was changing. Not like changing into something else, but like changing all the time, all at once. Almost like someone was flipping channels on a remote on his hand. It would be light, then dark, then static-like, then all wet, then scales, then I don't know. I was so scared I wanted to leave. I started crying and begging my mama to let us leave. My brother then saw Noah come back from the church without the man. He told me and mama to look. Noah then spoke really clear like to everyone and we all got quiet. He said that the man was touched by an angel and now was serving Jesus in the spirit world. Someone asked if the man was dead and Noah said no. He said the man was now more alive than anyone here, that there was no corpse to speak of and that he had been taken away body and soul to serve the Lord. He then burst into happiness and started singing praises to the sky. The people around him started singing with him and before you know it, my mama and my brother were singing too. The whole crowd was singing and praising Noah in a way I had never seen before. It was like bliss was springing out on the ground and everyone was bathing in it. At first I was scared, then Noah looked at me and he smiled. I stopped being scared at that point and started to fall in love. You fell in love with Noah? I did, and I wasn't alone. People had started parking their trailers and vans and stuff around the church. Some folks just left their houses and started putting up tents. A lot of girls and women were falling in love with that man. My mama was one of them. We had started living around the church after that night, you see. I walked back and got my dog and my things and we were just staying there. I saw mama go away with Noah a lot around those times along with a lot of other women. Sometimes alone and sometimes more than one. I was 15 and I knew what was happening. You knew and it didn't bother you? Of course it bothered me, just not in the way you think. You see, I was jealous of these girls for being able to touch him when I could not. I didn't care how many he was having his way with, he was the closest thing to the Almighty I, I had ever been around. And I wanted him inside me. I am sorry to be so rude, but it's the truth. When I was 16, he finally took notice of me the way I wanted him to and I went back with him to his room under the church. That was where I lost my virginity, and I was fine with it at the time. Sometimes I would even see my mum leaving as I was going in, and neither of us cared. 
For the first year and a half or so, it felt good. He was still performing his miracles and giving his speeches, and he had a few hundred people at that point showing up, and about 70 of us there all the time. But then I got pregnant, and so did my mama. I think that was when it started to dawn on her what was happening, and that was when her love for Noah cracked. She told me and my brother that we were leaving, but I fought her and told her that she was jealous of me. I was such a stupid young thing back then, and all I could think about was how this vessel of the Lord had given me a child and I didn't want to listen to anything else. Other girls were pregnant too, and that still didn't bother me. My mother tried to leave with me and my brother then, but he refused to go. I never saw or heard from her again. I don't know if she left or whatever it was happened to the old man, happened to her, but she was gone. For all I know, I could have a sister who is also my niece out there in the world. If that ain't enough to make you scratch your head. Do you have a child now? No, dear. I don't. In fact, all of us girls pregnant from Noah, as far as I know, lost them all that day of the reckoning. Or the disaster, or whatever you want to call it. I am sorry to hear that. Thank you. But I am certainly not sorry about it at all. That man who calls himself Noah, if he was a man, was not godly. If he was anything, he was a demon. But even more likely, he was some fool who could do magic tricks he couldn't understand. There was something that I came to realize in the years since then. When I started reading and got my schooling finished, if that man has any offspring out there, I am sure they are just as cursed as he was. Tell me about what happened the day it all ended. You see, not everyone who followed him were there that day. There had been an infection killing off a lot of the crops for a few days, and people were tending to the fields and livestock with the intention of coming in the evening. So at the time, only us crazy folks, about 30 of us, who had chosen to live in the church with him, were there when he started talking. I was four months along, and some of the other folks were further than that by now, some even younger than me. He was up in the boneyard behind the church when he started talking again. Part of me was starting to feel sick, not only in the body but the mind. One of my neighbours had a daughter of 13 that he was starting to make his charming eyes at and it just started to feel wrong. He had started to talk holding up the Bible when really early on he got that look in his eye again and he turned towards us with that same smile. Last time he had done his thing, he had brought out some exotic leaves from the tropics that he had hanging over the door. He walked towards the big Peterson headstone to his right and started touching the air around it. I remember everything didn't go all quite like it usually does, but the sound of the bugs got loud as hell. He started sweating, and that was nothing new, but this time we heard him say something right in the middle of his conjuring or whatever the heck it was. He said, Wait. And I just knew something wasn't right. Something more was going on, and it was more than he could handle. It was the first and last time I would ever see Noah afraid. The air was cold all of a sudden, and it was so noisy I thought I might lose my mind, but that didn't matter because after a few seconds everything was turning. Well, it was a color I couldn't describe between grey and white and other things I don't know. 
Now, I don't expect you to believe me or anything, but I thought I was on the moon for a second. Or at the bottom of the sea. Or maybe in hell. I couldn't tell if I was standing or falling or burning or freezing. I felt a million things at once and I could tell half of them were looking at me. I saw a few other people like Mrs. Peabody, scared, stiff. I tried to say something, but it was like she was melting or maybe turning into ice or something worse. When I looked up, the sky was made of swirling worms or eyes. If there was a sky at all. Then I was standing in the boneyard again. The graves had moved a bit and I thought I was alone. I saw what must have been blood or something on a lot of the tombstones and something was crackling, coming from the trees. Then I saw one of the other girls lying on the ground a few feet from me, alive but passed out. And there were a few others, some just staring off into space. I think my school teacher, Mr. Dupont, was the only one who had any wits about him of the five or so of us that made it back. But he died a few years back. I found out when I was in the hospital that I lost the baby, but could not find a way to feel too broken up about it. You said get back. Get back from where? I don't know, miss. But it wasn't here. I want our readers to draw their own conclusions about this. Was it a hyped up alien abduction tale? Was there something supernatural involved? A sexually deviant con man who simply met a coincidental strange end? Or God? Or the devil? Or just an event interpreted by a woman who was an adolescent that went through a traumatic experience? If nothing else, it is an interesting story for you, my beloved readers, to enjoy and maybe get you thinking about what we think we know versus what is really out there. Kisses, kisses, and hugs and hugs. Karen Elmhouse. Well, listeners, what are your thoughts regarding Noah's magic? Why do you think he said, wait? And what took place when the old man whose hand began physically warping through different types of skin materials it's almost as if Noah could see into another realm. A hidden realm where the void exists, where different universes perhaps intersect with our own. In that moment, where the realities would otherwise skim between themselves, Noah pulls them together instead of letting them slide past one another, causing them to collide opposed to shift materialistically over one another. Hence the old man's hand, the crossing of time and space, and the trauma inflicted on the cult worshippers. Terrifying to say the least, but that's my speculation. A big thank you to Fee Stringer for sending this one through. I loved narrating this tale, and a great tale to get myself back on the saddle. And now, mates, it's time for my second favorite part of this podcast. Thanking the awesome people that support the podcast itself. These are people who send their love my way, and I appreciate every bit of their support. These people are my Patreon supporters. You can visit my Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT. It's here that you'll be able to send your support my way and improve the quality of this podcast. First up of my Ode Night Tea Titans, a godly tier of support that I'm endlessly grateful for. Firstly, Marvelously Epic Maya, a supporter sent from above for sure. Your support is going straight into old time radio research and archiving donations. I have to be careful where or who I support 
Namely because people tend to just sell old time radios which are already free on the net whilst I remaster it and give it away for free anyway because frankly everyone should enjoy this kind of media. So with your support I'm helping others continue their work to keep and record OTRs in the future. It's all about integrity and saving the old from deterioration. You are helping make that possible Maya. You are brilliant. Next up is my divine divided by zero, that living hero. Thank you so much for your support this month. You are the gift that keeps giving and I have your email. It's next on my list to respond to. And again, thank you for your endless kindness divided by zero. And with your donation, I'm buying OTR scripts and working on sectioning those funds away for artists. You rock mate. And thank you so much for your support this month. And thirdly, Starfire Solstra. Thank you so much, mate, for your support, a true angel. And with your support this month, I'll be sectioning that off as well to spearhead bigger projects. For example, working with a new set of authors, ghostwriters, and freelancers to support their works directly, whilst also designing brand new stories. So thank you, Solstra. And thank you again to all my own IT titans. I have a lot of plans that are now possible because of your donation. You're awesome. And speaking of awesome, my white tea warlord, Lazorus Maximus. Mate, your ongoing support blows me away, and I've been using your support to fuel the voice mod tool that I'm currently using. It's cleaning my audio up before hitting my recording software, which takes out one whole step for me. I'm not sure if you can tell the difference yet, but it's actually speeding up my workflow process significantly. All thanks to you, Dudio. Cheers, Leza. And of course, the lifeblood of this podcast, my Earl Grain forces. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, and Tea Time Drinker One. Thank all of you, my Patreon supporters. You are the peeps that help this show grow. You're amazing. See you Friday for something different. And as always, till next, we mini.